Doing a daily Bible devotional has been the best thing that I've done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses I look through when I'm reading the Old or the New Testament. So get a cup of coffee, sit back, and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood and welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I'm Paige, your caffeine imbued host. Here's my coffee. Mm. Thank you, Dunkin' Donuts. And you know what we gotta say, in the beginning, coffee and lo, it was very good. Yes, it is. Well, we're continuing our journey with David. David is on the run from Saul. Yesterday, we talked about how um, I was impressed with the fact that David is not seeking to yank the throne away from Saul, even though Samuel told him that God was going to make him king. God knows that David's going to become king. David's brothers even know he's going to become king because, well, they were there when he was anointed. And Jonathan, Saul's son, knows that he's going to become king. So you certainly couldn't blame David if he decided to go to war with Saul and take what God has said was going to be his. But David doesn't do that. David goes out of his way to not fight Saul. And I was impressed by that because um, David is relying totally and completely on God to give the throne to David. David is not going to have a hand in hurting or killing the current king of Israel. He is totally relying on God. And so we're going to see that continue on in today's uh, chapter, chapter 24. So uh, I have some other thoughts on that, you know, because I'm thinking with my mouth open. And again, just a reminder, these devotionals, you're getting a peek into how my brain works. Um that might bother some people, but you're going to have to learn to deal with it. Do my These are my devotionals for my good. I want God to show me something about me. I want God to show me something about him. I want to, I, I want to learn something that makes Paige better when I get up from this devotional than I was when I sat down to do it. Having said that, let's get started. Chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, when it says it's 3,000 able young men, it's uh, playing down what's really being said here. These are the elite of his forces. He's taking the best of his army to go look for David. He came to the sheep pens along the way. Now a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, 
This is the day the Lord has spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now think about how tricky this is, how skillful David had to be. He cut off a piece of Saul's robe. In essence, he had to be almost next to Saul and Saul was unaware. Now that either says something to David's skill or it says something to Saul's lack of. <laughs> Saul was a skilled warrior. This says an awful lot about David's skill. He cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Now, why would he be conscience stricken? The thought that first comes to mind is perhaps initially creeping up to Saul, he was in agreement with his men. Maybe he was went up to Saul initially to strike him down, to kill the current king of Israel, which would leave space for the throne for him to ascend. Maybe that was it. Initially, maybe he wanted to do Saul injury. But he ended up repenting from that, backing away from that. And he was probably conscience-stricken because perhaps he had intended to do Saul harm. I don't know. That's kind of my thought on it. Although David later displays a corner of Saul's robe as evidence of his goodwill towards Saul, his pangs of conscience suggest a desire to secure such proof may not have been his only reason for being so close to Saul. In other words, he might have wanted to act aggressively towards him. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Now, David doesn't say this before he goes to Saul. He says this after he's cut off the part of Saul's robe. So it's I kind of think he went in, snuck up on Saul with the thought of perhaps killing him and then repented of that attitude and just cut off a piece of his robe instead. And he comes back and he chews out his men for suggesting that he hurt Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. And David would not let his men attack Saul. Now, just think about this for a second. You know, this had to have been a frightening moment in David's life, right? Think about this. Saul's got 3,000 of his skilled troops chasing down David. David's got 400 to 600 men. Probably not as skilled. This is a ragtag bunch of uh, criminals and rebels and malcontents that are following him. Yes, they can fight, but they're not a trained army like what Saul has. And they're trapped in this cave. There's only one way out. Saul's army is outside the mouth of this cave. Saul himself is inside the cave. David has decided not to hurt Saul. This leaves David and his men in danger because David come, uh, Saul comes out of that cave. He's still got his 3,000 men there and David and his men are stuck in the back cave. Now, Saul doesn't know they're there, but that does not negate the fear or the terror that must have been present while David and his men were hiding, hoping that Saul and his men would not know that they were in the cave because if Saul's men and Saul had known that they were in the cave, they'd be dead. 
So there's a couple Psalms here that David written that David has written that deal specifically with how he felt when he was in this cave. We're gonna start off with Psalms 57 for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. <laughs> Apparently there was a song called Do Not Destroy. This is a, a uh, song from David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Think about this. He's hiding in the cave from Saul. I cry out to the God most high, the God to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me. Rebuking those who hotly pursue me, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Think about this. They are trapped in the cave by 3,000 of Saul's most skilled warriors. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. They did. They were trapped. I was bowed down in distress. Oh, you bet he was distressed. He was trapped in the back of a cave with 600 men by Saul and his 3,000 armed warriors. They dug a pit in my path. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaching to the skies. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now think about this. As we're going to hear in the story coming up, the rest of the story, Saul leaves and David from a distance, confronts him and is delivered. Saul goes home. You can see how he would be rejoicing at the end of the psalm. <laughs> I will awaken the dawn. He's, he's praising God that he gets to wake up another day. There was a very real chance that this would have been the last day on earth for David and his men. <laughs> awake, my soul. I will awaken the dawn. I will get to get... I get to wake up another day. Mm. And God delivered him. So now there's another Psalm, 142, when he was in the cave, a prayer. Think about this again. He's in the cave, trapped by Saul and his men. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. And when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look, see, there's no one at my right hand. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. He had been one of Saul's best generals, the most highly acclaimed fighting man in Israel. Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. People sung his praises. He was married to the king's daughter, best friends with the king's son. And now he's on the run. He says, I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. There's no, nobody wants to take me in. And he says, I cry to you, Lord, because I say you are my refuge. That cave was no refuge for David. It was a trap. Now Saul didn't know he was trapped there. And so David's crying out, says, you're my refuge, not this cave I'm in. 
You're my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Oh, yes, he is. Rescue me from those who pursue me. They're outside the cave, Lord. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Putting yourself in David's shoes. These Psalms, for me anyway, just come alive. David was uh, surrounded and trapped. There was no way out. And yet God delivered him. You know, this reminded me of was that uh, when my family and I were in Goose Creek, South Carolina, I was in the Navy, and Hurricane Hugo came through. Now, Hurricane Hugo initially was just a Category 1 hurricane, and so we made the decision to not flee uh, Goose Creek because there was only going to be a Category 1 hurricane. But then it stalled, sucked in a tropical depression from the south of it, and it went from Category three, uh, 1 to Category 3 like that in hours. And then it was too late to leave. And when that storm hit, I have never in my life experienced the force of nature that I saw in that Category 3 hurricane. The winds, the thunder, the rain. Um, a tornado dropped out of the backside of it. It was the most horrific. Thing. And, and in the middle of it, I remember my son crying to me, Daddy, make it stop, make it stop. I was, I've never felt so helpless in all my life. There was nothing to do but to pray and ask God to deliver us. And there was nothing I could do. We felt the house being torn apart around us as we huddled in fear and terror in the middle of our living room. We had nothing we could do. That's David. Listen to my cry, Lord. I'm in desperate need. They're too strong for me. Rescue me from those who pursue me. They're too strong for me. Set me free that I may praise your name. I remember that moment like it was yesterday. I remember it the rest of my life. How helpless I felt. And God, we prayed and cried out to God and God delivered us. Only God could have. Then David went out of the cave. It says, let me get back to it. David went out of his cave and called out to Saul. My Lord, the king. Saul looked behind him. David bowed down and prostrated himself. With his face to the ground, he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father. Now, when he calls him, see my my father, it's not just a term of respect. But he's reminding the king that he is indeed, after all, Saul's son-in-law and holds him in high regard. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hands will not touch you. My hands will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Now he's rebuking Saul. But he says, I'm going to leave it up to the Lord to judge. 
and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. You're going to have to pay for this, Saul, but it won't be me that does it. I could have done it. I could have killed you, but all I did was cut off your robe. My hand will not touch you. And David's point here seems to be like, uh, uh, like Jesus' teaching, you'll recognize them by their fruits. David is known by his restraint. Saul is known from his efforts to harm David. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how, as I'm reading through the Old Testament, New Testament, and doing these devotionals, how messages seem to just like be a thread that ties everything together. In the New Testament, the thread that ties the entire New Testament together comes out of the time when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, oh, it's easy. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the New Testament. The uh, epistles and everything are just expansions of one of those two thoughts. This is what loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind looks like. Or this is what loving your neighbor looks like. You can boil it down to fitting into one of those two. And Jesus is right. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. James would go on to say, you have faith, that's excellent. I have faith too, but the difference is I show my, you my faith by how I live. That's what David's saying here. He's saying, from evildoers come evil deeds. So David is saying, I will not do evil to you, even though you've done evil to me. And the evil that you're doing really is a mirror, Saul. Look in it. This is telling me what you're like. It's not just enough. First, John tells us in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it's not just enough to know the right creed, to recite the right creed. I believe in Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in his Son, etc., etc. It's not enough to say the creed. You have to live the creed. John says that he has the right to call you out on your behavior if you claim to be a Christian and you're not acting as a Christian. John goes further and he says, look, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness, the truth is not in you. John's saying that our walk should reflect Christ, not just our words. And that's David's point. From evildoers come evil deeds. Hmm. Verse 14, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. it may he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Now, when David had finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You haven't just now told me about the good you did to me. Or you have just now, excuse me. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treat me today. Listen to this. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. All right, having just escaped with his life, 
Saul experiences a rare moment of remorse. It's like the old Saul comes back. You know, there's, uh, I've seen several videos of people in retirement homes and um, who've been suffering from dementia and how sometimes music will just reach them and just for a brief moment in time, they, they come back, they're lucid and the real person's there. This is Saul is experiencing a rare moment of lucidity here. He's he's going insane. He's he's he's. I don't know if if he's slowly losing his mind or whatever. But he, he these his actions against David and his rantings and his ravings are not those of a well man mentally. He's losing his mind, and this is a moment of lucidity. He realizes that David could have killed him and didn't. Hmm. He goes on to say, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now earlier Samuel had told Saul that because of his rebellion, his kingdom would not endure, be given to a man after God's own heart. Saul now realizes that David is that man. And like Jonathan before him, he's concerned, Saul is concerned that David not cut off his descendants. So as David is sworn he would show unfailing kindness to Jonathan and his family, he now swears that he will not harm Saul's offspring or wipe out his name. Having secured David's oath, Saul returns to Gibeah. David, however, wisely continues to distrust Saul and therefore retreats to his stronghold. You know, it's forgiveness is um, a really misunderstood term. When you forgive somebody, that doesn't mean you condone whatever it is that they've done against you. It doesn't mean, also, it does not mean you forget about it. Wisdom says Wisdom says to keep your eyes open. When someone does something evil to you, that's a window into their heart. And when you forgive them, the concept of forgiveness isn't condoning what they did, like I said, and it's not forgetting what they did, like I said. It is, when you forgive somebody, it's like the, um, canceling a debt. Um, when someone does something wrong to me, there's a part of me that says, you know, you've hurt me and now I get to repay you by hurting you back. But when you forgive somebody, you're canceling that debt and you're telling them, you hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm going to say the debt is canceled and I have no cause to hurt you back. But that doesn't mean I forget that they hurt. Um, I've had friends in the past that did things that did me dirty and I forgave them. And what that meant was, is I'm not going to seek compensation or recompensation for the damage they did. I'm just going to walk away from them. I'm going to walk away from that situation and the debt is canceled. They owe me nothing, but that doesn't mean I give them unfettered access to my life again. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. 
Forgiving doesn't mean condoning. Forgiving means you're canceling the debt and you're telling that person, you owe me nothing. Isn't that how it works with us and God? When God forgives us our sins, this whole forgiveness thing is wrapped up in this process of redemption where somebody else pays the price of your debt and you're free of that debt now. Somebody else paid the price. You didn't. God forgives us. That means we no longer owe him our death. It, Paul says it in Romans. He says, um, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Got it? Um, the wages of sin is death. In fact, that's that's the price we have to pay for our sin is our death. But eternal life is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to cancel that debt of sin. So we don't owe God our death. We now owe God our life. David forgave Saul. But he kept his eyes open. David and his men went up to the stronghold, a place that's defensible. Even though Saul and his army left, David and his men went to a place that they could still defend. <clears throat> oh, this story of David brings up a lot of stuff for me. I'm really loving what I'm hearing. And this is a good place to stop. Page, here's my coffee. And lo, it is still very good. I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com.